Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and from our Lord and our Savior Jesus the Christ. Amen. As you can see on the slide there, our message title for today is, What Did the Lord Say? And that's what I'd like to, the thought I'd like to start with today. What did the Lord say? And for us, as we consider that question today, I'd like us to, to think about the uh, Old Testament passage for today from Jeremiah chapter 28, verses 5 through 9. What did the Lord say? Because both Jeremiah and this other prophet named Hananiah said, this is what the Lord says. So how do we know for sure? Well, it says, Jeremiah says in verse 9, But the prophet who prophesies peace will be recognized as the one truly sent by the Lord only if his prediction comes true. Okay, and so we need to look at a little bit of background to see what in the world is going on here. First, what we see is, is we see that this is a time of exile. This is under the king Zedekiah. Zedekiah was a king over Israel put in place by the Babylonian king Nebuchadnezzar. So this is a time of exile, probably around, I think it's 594, 595, somewhere before Christ, B.C. And so... In this time, you see, the first wave of Israel has gone away to exile. There would be people like Daniel, Shadrach, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Those kind of the, the royalty and others had been shipped off already probably 10 years earlier to Babylon. And now the king set up Zedekiah to take care of God's people, to, to take care of those people there in the land and, and just offer him the tribute, do what needs to be done. They would be that... Um, one controlled by Babylon, but safe in the land. And of course, they hated being under someone else's control. That's not what they desired. And, and so Jeremiah says, the reason that you're doing this is because it's a fulfillment of what God had promised. If you look back with me into Deuteronomy chapter 28, Deuteronomy chapter 28 verse 20 says this, the Lord will send on you, he's speaking about uh, before the people go from, um, from Egypt into the promised land. So they're getting just ready to go into the promised land. It's the final sermon, as it were, the final message from Moses to the people. And he says, there's blessings for obedience and there are curses for disobedience. And this is under the curse section for disobedience. It says, the Lord will send, you, send on you curses confusion and rebuke in everything you put your hand to until you until you are destroyed and come to sudden ruin because of the evil you have done in forsaking him. It's also, we're reminded of the same thing in chapter 31, verses 16 and 17 of that book of Deuteronomy. It says this, And the Lord said to Moses, You are going to rest with your fathers, and these people will soon prostitute themselves to the foreign gods of the land they are entering. They will forsake me and break the covenant I made with them. On that day, I will become angry with them and forsake them. I will hide my face from them and they will be destroyed. Many disasters will, and difficulties will come upon them. And on that day, they will ask, have not these disasters come upon us because our God is not with us? God has said, even back in Moses' day, that they would forsake him, forsake God, 
and there would be a consequence. There would be some curses to come. Well, then listen early in Jeremiah and chapter two, verse 13 says this. My people have committed two sins, Jeremiah says. They have forsaken me, the spirit of living water, and have dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. In Jeremiah's day, they're experiencing what God has said already back in, in the time of Deuteronomy, time of Moses, that this was going to happen, and now they're experiencing it. And because of it, they're going to go into exile. They're going to be there for decades yet, not just 10 years, but for 70, I believe it is. A long time, and they're supposed to just be there and live under that foreign ruler because Nebuchadnezzar is God's chosen servant, he says, to do what needs to be done as punishment for Israel and the nations that surround them. Now, the people are reminded of this truth as Jeremiah actually does a little object lesson for them. He takes, now this one isn't wood, but he takes a wooden bar, as it were, a wooden yoke, and puts it on himself, and he walks around with this to show the people that they're going to be enslaved. He used these to enslave people, to talk, to make that message of being enslaved or like animals being used by someone else. This is what their future is. This is what actually in Jeremiah's day, their presence is. And this is what they have to look forward to because of their sin. If you look at Jeremiah chapter 28, verse 25, verse 8, which I read to you just a little bit ago, let me give this to you again. It says, From early times the prophets who preceded you and me have prophesied war, disaster, and plague against many countries and great kingdoms. Why did they say there's going to be war and not peace? Why did they say that? Well, it's because it's the outcome of their forsaking God. Did you hear what the Lord said? When I forsake God, when I turn away from him, he'll do what it takes to get my attention and draw me back. There will be consequences for my actions. And so what Jeremiah is saying makes complete sense. It's consistent with God's word. But then you have Hananiah speaking. And Hananiah, after this little part, he says, no, there's going to be peace. He even takes the yoke on Jeremiah's shoulders. He takes it off and he takes this wooden yoke and he breaks it. And he says, within two years, life is going to be back to normal they're going to come back. Everything's going to be great. That's when Jeremiah says, that sounds great. Hope it happens. But not according to what God told me. And Hananiah says, no, no, no. God told me this message. And so what did the Lord say? Sometimes there's confusion. Back there in Jeremiah's day, there could be confusion. Well, what did God say? They're both saying, the Lord said this to me. One is saying there's going to be slavery and struggle for decades yet. Another one says, no, we're going to have peace and freedom. And he takes and breaks the yoke as a sign of that. Well, later before the chapter extends, it says, you know, hey, if the prophet of peace is real, if it's really truly from God, then it's going to happen. And it didn't happen. Not only did it not happen, but yet that year, Hananiah died as God said he would. And God not only had a yoke of wood, but... Jeremiah put on a yoke of iron to say, this is really going to happen. So there was a time of confusion, but eventually the truth came out. And the people didn't really necessarily want to hear it. How about for us today? How does this message impact us? 
Well, first, what I'd like to think about, again, I've used this idea with you before, but I'd like you to think about MTD. I've, I've done this with you before, but I really want this to stick in your, in your brain. Moralistic, therapeutic deism. Now, there are some preachers that do this, and I'm sure that I am also capable of straying and going this way myself. We all need to be wise and aware and wary of the danger of this way of thinking. Moralistic, therapeutic deism means moralistic, again, is God's really most interested in morals. And therefore, good people are right with God and bad people are not. And so God, go get those bad people. And don't get them to bring them into the kingdom, but just go get rid of them. Now, that's really nice and comfortable for those of us who think we're doing really well. But we really don't understand what God's word says if you and I think we're doing well. Like Paul says in Romans 7, I wouldn't have known what, what coveting was if the law had not said, do not covet. I think sometimes when you and I think we're doing really, really well, it's because we're not clued in on what the Lord actually says. God doesn't just say, try, try a little bit, be better than your neighbor. He says, be perfect. So are you really as moral as you think you are? I'm certainly not. Remember, God doesn't just care about those things that everybody else sees. God cares about our thoughts, our words, and our deeds. Therapeutic. There are some preachers who are going to simply say, I just want you to feel good. And again, I'm very tempted towards that end because I want you to feel good so that you'll like me. My insecurity just rises so much. But you know, it's not about how we feel. Because as we follow Jesus, our gospel lesson talks about losing our life in order to find it. Losing our life is not going to feel great. It's not about how well we're doing. It's about, am I making much of God? Am I staying connected to him or am I forsaking him to get my own way? which then brings us to the last part of deism. Deism is that God has made the world, he's made everything, and it kind of runs on its own. We might call on God when we're in extreme need and have him come and act for us, but otherwise, go away, God. I'll take care of it. You've set it up. You've designed it to run kind of on its own. Um, you stay over there, and I'll do my thing here. And again, that fits perfectly with the American way, right? My freedom is my freedom to do whatever I want to do. Isn't that what we think? I'm free. I'm free to do what I want to do, to buy what I want to buy, to, to be how I want to be. As long as I'm not, quote unquote, hurting anybody else, I should have this freedom. But God says, as we'll find out in the gospel lesson in just a moment, Jesus doesn't say you're free to be you, but you're free from yourself to come follow me, Jesus says. Hmm. Interesting. So, I can either live today with this moralistic, therapeutic deism, or I can live today listening to what the Lord says. Finding my life by losing it. Taking up my cross and following him. Making much of Jesus. Living united with Christ. And finding joy I can have no other way. Which one should I listen to? 
Maybe the question isn't so much which one should I listen to, but which one do I listen to? What really is it that the Lord said? You know, because of our sinfulness and our struggle, the law shows us how we fall short. And that's why just three chapters after this Jeremiah 28, the new covenant is spoken of, the new covenant that Jesus fulfills for us. So let's go then to Jesus. Let's look at him. And what is it that Jesus, the Lord, said in our gospel reading? And what we see is he's saying, no peace. I didn't come to bring peace within the family. I didn't come for all those reasons. And so we really need to look and say, well, Jesus, why did you come then? And if we look into Luke chapter 4, we hear these words. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread through the whole countryside. He taught in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and on the Sabbath day he went into the synagogue, as was his custom, and he stood up to read the scroll of the prophet Isaiah, and that was handed to him. He unrolled it and found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom from the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And that would be found in him. And because the people of those days were looking not for Jesus specifically, but for a different kind of Messiah, they had all their hopes put on someone else, a different kind of one, not a suffering servant who fulfilled all the scriptures, but rather one who would go and destroy those ruling over them, like the Babylonians in times past and the Romans at the time of Jesus. He says some difficult things. Will I follow Jesus? Will I listen to what the Lord says as he speaks or, or not? And so those difficult words of no peace, the difficult words of laying down your life to find it, of taking up your cross and following Jesus, those are difficult words. Do I hear them? How many of you have had one of those conversations with someone and, and while they were talking, it was kind of like that Peanuts cartoon where the teacher is speaking, blah, 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 but you're not really listening? How many times when God's word comes to you and it's a word that you don't necessarily want to hear, it's kind of like the teacher on Peanuts cartoons, blah, 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 and you don't really hear it. Because when I hear what the Lord has to say, it should impact my life so that I want to hear his word pick up my cross to live this new way of living, not for myself, but for him. It reminds me of, of what Paul writes in Galatians chapter two. He writes those beautiful words, I've been crucified with Christ and now I no longer live, but Jesus Christ now lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I've been crucified with Christ and now I no longer live. But Jesus Christ now lives in me. What, is that, what does that look like where I no longer live but Jesus Christ now lives in me? What does that look like? And I believe Paul gives us a great picture in his own life. If we think about Paul and 
how Jesus had said when he was blinded there on the way to Damascus, and how Jesus said, Ananias, go, lay your hands on him and tell him how much he must suffer, or that I will show him how much he must suffer for my namesake. That's part of laying down your life to find it. Listen to what Paul says in Philippians chapter 3, verses 4 through 11. If anyone else thinks he has reasons to put confidence in the flesh, that's my life, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law of Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for legalistic righteousness, faultless. But whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection, and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so, and so somehow to attain to the resurrection from the dead. Did you hear all that language? How do I live this taking up my cross daily and following him? How do I live this dying to myself so that I might find my life? It's by living in union with Jesus. It's by continually finding my life in him, and knowing that because he laid down his life for me, I am now made righteous in God's eyes. That is so hard for me. I want to prove it. I want to make it myself. I want to do it. I want to be the one. It's so hard for me to die. And in one of the books I read to you last week about the Thomas Merton quote, he goes on later and he talks about about how we take up our cross, and that's a, that's a crucifixion, that's a cruciform life, a, a crucified life, and, and what that means. Because crucifixion is not quick and easy. It's slow, it's painful, and it's public. Remember crucifixion outside the city walls, people see you? I wonder, this difficult, dying what this looks like as we leave behind our life to find again what really is life, life in Jesus. For me, I experienced a little bit of that this last week. I was on a Zoom call with my wife and we were talking to some others about joining Jesus on his mission. And, and as I was on the phone call, I, just, I was just really listening. I wasn't doing a whole lot of talking, just really listening. And, and as I was listening, there were about three other people, three or four other people on the, on the phone call or the Zoom call with us. And, and they were just sharing about different things they've done in the past and what they're doing now. And, and more and more, I became kind of uncomfortable and a little bit down. I started getting down, just feeling very negative. And it finally dawned on me what was going on. My pride couldn't take the hit. Here were these other people, some much younger, some just a little bit younger, and how they were living their lives was incredible. Reaching out to their neighbors, loving their neighbors, investing in their neighbors, caring for, doing these wonderful things, and I felt really small, like nothing. And you know, I could 
not for that moment rejoice in that because I was so caught up with myself. But you see, when I put when I'm put to death, when it's no longer about me and how well I'm doing and all of that, I don't have to be doing as well as everyone else. I don't have to be reaching these certain limits. My life is found in Jesus. I'm made righteous in him. Now I can rejoice in the good thing that God is doing through those other people and say, look how God is extending his kingdom through these people and rejoice in the Lord who's at work around me. And as he works to put me to death, the Lord who's at work in me. Is the Lord at work in you Are you hearing his word? Is he at work in you to produce that cruciform, that crucified life also? If not, I I found an interesting section about this life being curved in on itself. That Luther's definition of of sin is that that little line around from the head down to self. It's all about me and myself. Let me find that real quick. says right here, there are three ways for the incurved self to view other people. Just, I've noticed this in my life. I just want to know, is this true in yours? Because this would be a way that the law, God's word, convicts us to help us die to ourselves, that we might truly live united with Christ and live this new life in Jesus. This is how I've looked at people in the past, not always, but sometimes. There are three ways for the incurved, the person curved in himself to view other people. Number one, they are part of my own enjoyment of life, so I need to manipulate them to get my way. Or they are obstacles in the way of my enjoyment, so I get angry with them because they're in the way of my happiness. Or as long as they don't interfere with me, that should, they should be free to do whatever it is that makes them happy. And so I'm indifferent to them. In other words, they can go do whatever they like as long as they don't interfere with me. Is that loving my neighbor? Is that hearing what he has to say? And is that how Jesus lived his life? And how he's currently living his life with you? Oh, here comes the dogs. So what does the Lord say? When the Lord says that I wouldn't know covenant, I wouldn't know all these other things if God's law hadn't said, don't do this or do this instead. Don't do this curved in on myself thinking that people are either there to manipulate for my happiness or to be angry with and get rid of because they're in the way of my happiness or simply be indifferent to because it's not about them, it's about me. No, hear the word, let that impact us, let let it cut us down that we might truly find life like Paul did in Jesus, not in our performance. So what did the Lord say? John 3, 16, can you quote that with me? God said, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. In Romans 6, 1 through 7, listen to what the Lord says. 
Romans 6 says this. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the death of the glory of the Father, we too may have a new life. If you have been united with him like this in his death, we will certainly also be united with him in his resurrection. United to Jesus. That's our life. We find our life by remembering that we're united with Jesus. Jesus, the perfect human, we're united with. His perfection has been given to us. His strength is for us. His presence is for us. His protection is for us. We're united with him. What else does his word have to say? Well, 1 Corinthians 6, verses 19 to 20 says this. Do not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, who is in you, whom you have received from God, you are not your own. You were bought at a price. That's what God says. Therefore, now, come, follow him, honor God with your body. That's what the Lord says. And now that's difficult. It's difficult to remember that the Spirit lives within us. It's difficult to hear these things because we don't think we're worthy of it. You know, if, if you don't love Jesus more than your father and mother and all these others, you're not worthy of him. And so we think we're not worthy. That's right. That's why Jesus came to die to set us free, to forgive those sins, to reconnect us with him that we might walk with Jesus. In Christ, you and I, if we listen to his words, in Christ, if we don't call him a liar, but believe, 1 John 5, if we believe the testimony God has made about his son, if we believe that to be true, then we know that in Christ, because of what he has done for us, forgiving us our sins, we are now by Christ made worthy. And we have an awesome inheritance to receive. You know, there's a, if we think about, you know, the, the whole good news of what God has done for me in Jesus, I'm saved by grace. And then sometimes we hear these words now about, about what we have to do. We have to follow Jesus. We have to live, live, lose our life to find it. We might think, wait a second, what is this, what's this all about? And so what might happen is we struggle, and, and there's a Dallas Willard writes something I want you to hear. He says this, currently we are not only saved by grace, but we are also paralyzed by it. There's a deep confusion. We find it hard to see that grace is not opposed to effort, but it is opposed to earning. Being paralyzed by it, I was talking with someone in and they said that there was a time in their life where the anxiety was so strong in their life, it was so strong that when they woke up in the morning, to, they needed to go do something, that when they woke up, they couldn't move a muscle. They couldn't, do, they couldn't move their legs, their arms, nothing. The anxiety froze them. They were paralyzed. Some men had to come in and actually help him to the bathroom so he could get his day started. Then the, then the EMS came, the ambulance came, and he was taken care of, yes. Paralyzed. We are saved by grace. Are we paralyzed by it? You see, Jesus doesn't call us to what Bonhaver talked about as a cheap grace. Just live in God's grace and do whatever you want to. MTD. Moralistic, therapeutic. God just wants me to be happy. Peace, peace, where there is no peace. That's not what it's about. It's about actually living out that faith like Paul did. Paul lived in God's grace, but it didn't make him lazy. 
<clears throat> it didn't make him do nothing. He strove then to follow Jesus. We don't do things to get on God's team. God puts us on his team, and now we're in training to do what he calls us to do. We're training how to live united with Christ, how to hear his words, to remember who we are in Jesus, and to receive our marching orders for the day. Ephesians 2.10 says that we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, united with him, to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. Wouldn't it be great if we didn't say, what's my to-do list for the day, and then tried to get it all done? Wouldn't it be great if we said, Jesus, what are we going to do today? And then we listened, and we went and did it. What does the Lord say about us? We are sinful and need a Savior. We have a Savior. His name is Jesus, which means he saves. We trust in Jesus. We remember that we are united with Jesus, with his death and resurrection. And we hear him say, take up our cross and follow him so we can be like Paul. Amen?